0: Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yes. Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech executive producer of social media here at the iq and today is going to be a little bit different we're not going to have our intro in the usual sense because i'll be joined today by one of my fellow colleagues the face that runs the place he was here a few months ago fresh off of an extended break the man the myth the legend himself is here rob wilson is in the building hey rob how you doing sir
1: oh viper thank you for having me once on once again can you remember in wrestling world when I think it was Royal rumble 2008 at the Madison square garden and number 30 (laughs) came through the doors and nobody knew who it was. And then John Cena's music started playing and the roof came off the building. Boom. That's what it feels like right now. (laughs) Can you see me? I can't see you. I'm waving. Nobody can see me on the podcast. I don't know why I'm doing that.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you sir for making the time today as always. Pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on again. No problem. Before we jump in, I want to address some of the tweets you guys have been tweeting at me using the hashtag TubeTalk. First tweet is from Neil Schaefer. Appreciate you listening to the podcast, Neil. He says, finally caught up on listening to TubeTalk and am truly inspired. Have a question and invite. Why isn't anyone talking about best practices for podcasters to leverage YouTube? I would love to invite you to come on my podcast if you're up for discussing. Neil, again, thank you for listening to TubeTalk. I will definitely DM you about coming on your show. And I think podcasting has always existed in some shape or form on YouTube. I think in our uh, creative studio, there is a, a category now for podcasts. So, is, um, yeah. yeah, YouTube is starting to embrace podcasts more and more. And I think I saw somewhere word I think YouTube is the number two platform where people listen to podcasts. So, um, yeah, podcasts are starting to come out very, very strong here on YouTube. I think
1: creators have just got to understand that if you have podcasts on your channel, that's a very different viewing slash listening experience to watching a five to 10 minute video. So, you know, just like having shorts on the same channels, long form content or live streams on the same channels, long form content, you just got to consider how your audience is going to react differently to them and whether you need to have a separate channel, same channel. Cause we know that there are some channels that have podcast channels and then clips channels for their podcasts because they're never going to reach a very different audience depending on who wants to watch the content. But yeah, YouTube is taking over TikTok with short form content. And now we're after
0: Spotify, I guess, with podcasting platform. I guess so. Next up, we got iCave Dave. Hello, Dave. He says, hey, vidIQ, Tube Talk. I really like answering audience questions in my videos that are left in the comments. Should I do single video per question or combine them all into a longer video? I've always tacked them on to the end of news in the past, thoughts, discovery, advantages. Rob, I don't know how you feel about this, but I kind of feel like he should kind of do it the way he's been doing it and maybe answer a question or two at the end of his normal videos. Mm. I would not make dedicated videos to answer audience comments. I just wouldn't do that. But what do you think, Rob?
1: I think if a comment was good enough to turn into a video that you think Ooh. benefits all of your audience, then yes. Yeah, okay. What I would probably do is bury the comment within the video itself. So I wouldn't advertise the fact that you're answering a comment in the title or the thumbnail. I would just make it very general for a broad appeal. And then maybe one or two minutes in, you can say the inspiration for this was a comment from this person to make sure that they're involved. Another way you could do it is that you just through your normal publishing of videos, like randomly halfway through the video, you can just spend a very small amount of time answering that question, that comment. Uh, It's almost like a built-in ad break. Ads are pattern interrupts, but it could ruin your audience retention. But I like the idea of answering multiple comments at the end of a video because your audience that's really engaged and loyal to you are still watching. And then they're more likely to post comments, hoping and thinking that you're going to reply to them in future videos. I'm trying to remember who did this really effectively. And I think this channel's name is really strange, which is why I might pronounce it wrong. Uh, Potato Jet. Yep. I think he's like a camera content yes. creator. Mm-hmm. And I remember he always addresses comments and things at the very end and it should, he does it in a really cool way. He's like a
0: fantastic creator, really engaging. So there's multiple ways to do it. Definitely. All right. So we, are, we got two more coming from Ray Dunn. Appreciate you, Ray. First question from Ray is, Viper, when you're NDYPP, is the website required to transfer earnings from Google AdSense? I think when you're setting up your AdSense to be, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but when you're setting it up, you have to have a website. But I think the website is just your YouTube channel, right? Yeah. For AdSense,
1: there's, I guess, a dedicated section of it to connect your YouTube channel to your AdSense account. And many creators have to do this from scratch when they're working towards monetization. Well, previously, you could set up your AdSense account in preparation for getting into monetization. Um, But whatever the case, if you're um, starting a new AdSense account for your YouTube channel, as long as you do it through YouTube, it should all be connected up
0: as intended to get paid. There you go. And the last question from Ray, he says, how does playlists work and are they important? Well, basically, playlists allow you to group videos together. So if you're doing a series of videos that you know are connected, then you want to put them in what we call a playlist, because if you do that, then YouTube will kind of auto recommend those videos one after another, depending on how you set up your playlist. As far as how important they are, I think they're more important for optics for a viewer, like the viewing experience. I don't know if they're that important for the algorithm, but Rob, what are your experience with playlists? If you can be bothered to put your videos into playlists and then
1: grab the links for those videos within a playlist, then when you share that link and somebody watches the video, you're already in that playlist. And so that would encourage more views of your subsequent content. Having said that, in my experience... Uh, I've really struggled to find a good use for playlists in that we try to order all of our content on our channel in the hopes that people would watch, you know, 10 videos on monetization. But the truth is the traffic sources suggest that we only get one or 2% of our views from a playlist. And that might just be because we're doing it wrong. You know, even us as YouTube educators, sometimes we can't figure out stuff. And so playlists playlist has been one of those things that I've tried to fix in the past. And I've just thought, you know what? Instead of really concentrating on playlists, I'm going to spend more time on making my thumbnail better because I know that is super important.
0: There you go. appreciate the questions, Ray Dunn. So thank you. So I brought Rob here today to talk about the state of YouTube in 2023. But before we get into that, Rob just got back from an extended break. So I want to ask you, Rob, you were away for three months. Obviously, you were taking care of some business and your personal life we don't have to get into all that but what i want to know as it relates to youtube you are the primary content creator for VidIQ, which means you create a bunch of content for the brand a year so how did it feel being away for three months and how are you feeling now that you're back
1: so yeah i have created a lot of content in over the last six years now i think probably about a thousand videos plus live streams and i don't mind sort of talking about the, the personal reasons for it like i knew i okay. needed a break okay and I kind of agreed with vidIQ, I think, two years ago, that I was going to take a break at some point in the future. And it just coincided with me moving continents. So I moved from Vancouver in Canada back to my homeland in the UK. Mm -hmm. And so moving is pretty stressful in itself. Buying a house is pretty stressful. So I thought, let's just do all of this with vidIQ on the sidelines for a little bit of time. And so you know, thank you for VidIQ for giving me the time and the opportunity to just take a break. Um, it's felt good, Viper, I'm not going to lie, to not have to worry about oh. analytics. Like, I, I was looking at the analytics for the first few weeks, but then within about a month, I'd been able to not uninstall the YouTube studio from my phone, but, like, take it off the home screen. Right. And so I didn't look at any analytics for a month, <laughs> and that felt good. Like, not worrying <laughs> if the next video was going to be a 1 of 10 or a 10 of 10. And what was really good to take a break from wasn't necessarily filming or editing or the creation process. It was more the ideas process. Cause after making a thousand videos about how to get a thousand subscribers, monetize, et cetera, et cetera, I was running out of ideas. I was running on fumes a little bit the last few months. And so to not have that stress every morning, like, can I think of an idea this morning? Instead, I can watch. Andor, Star Wars TV show. I highly recommend people watch that. It's fantastic. You have slightly other opinions on that one, right? VIP, you're a little indifferent. You're more a Mandalorian fan. Yeah, I've,
0: I've only watched the first episode of Andor, so I'm not oh, really the best person to act.
1: <laughs> amazing. But I had time to do that. I had time to play on, uh, on my VR headset and I had time to play some games, as well as doing important house building and house moving stuff. So, yeah, to, to be away from YouTube. For three months has been very refreshing, but it it was a struggle to get away from it because, you know, I managed to remove the apps from my phone and, and not check YouTube that often, but I was also conscious that I had to start preparing for when I came back. So I was ordering new equipment for the studio build that I've been doing. And I got to the beginning of January. So I was like six, seven weeks into this break. And I realized, Rob, why are you just on Amazon looking at cameras and microphones Like you need to take a complete step back from YouTube for like at least five or six weeks, the time you have left. And so I was able to do that. Eventually I went on um, holiday for the first time in a few years. Mm, Uh, I visited friends and family, which is obviously very important when you've got that time off. And I don't want to say I found myself, but you know, I've come back energized, ready to go, ready to start publishing content. And now I'm I'm just starting to ease myself back into it. Not going to lie. I feel rusty. Like uh, the first live stream I did, typically the camera failed two minutes before I went live. Uh, we had Sean Cannell on just dropping knowledge bombs and I felt like really inferior. Like I can't remember half of this stuff, uh, but it's slowly coming back. I've made one or two videos that are just easing me back into the creation process. So all is going well, but I still think it's going to take another month before I'm you know, back to full efficiency in the YouTube grind, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I think we were fortunate because when you were away, Dan really did a good job of holding it down and keeping the pace of the content. Yeah, Dan did a, uh, an amazing job. Me and Hefe, Travis helped out where we could. And it, it was just a, basically a total team effort. I know it's different with Rob taking a break from their brand as opposed to an individual creator taking a break from their channel. Yeah. But still, there are ways that you can do it even as an individual creator and still have that same refreshing uh, time away. Although it might require a little bit more pre-planning on your part being an individual as opposed to a brand, but it can still be done. Creators do it all the time and sometimes it's good to step away as Rob just highlighted
1: there. You're right. We, we had the luxury of a, a team of people beyond me, but also what we did is I think I made, I think five or six videos before I went on my break and we were yep. staggered then. I think we published maybe one every two weeks. So people were still seeing me, I think deep into the middle of January with content. But as you say, Viper, for the individual, they'll have to Do a little bit more planning, but it can be done where you batch produce some content and stagger it over a period of time to to give you that time off. And I highly recommend if you've been at this YouTube game for two or three years and you need a break, you have your audience's permission to do that and they will wait for you. As long as you're not taking like six to 12 months off and you keep them updated and you have maybe a reduced output, then
0: it is possible as demanding as YouTube is. I want to dig into that a little bit more because you just said you have your audience's permission. I kind of come from the angle of, is it really about getting your audience's permission though? Because if we go away as creators and we stop producing content for a week, two weeks, three weeks, the audience is going to go find some other content to watch. Correct. Yeah. And then when you come back, hopefully the, the goal is that they come back to you and they start watching your content again. But I kind of feel like, Rob, it's more on the creator to allow themselves the permission to step away as opposed to uh, having their in the permission. I would agree with that. I guess the mindset
1: from the creator is, if I take a break, is my audience still going to, yeah. to watch me? And actually, Nate made a, an interesting point about this. I think he's been talking to YouTube about this. Whether you could set your channel to uh, on a break or on leave. So like if somebody visited your channel or watched your, one of your videos, they could see that you're actually away from youtube for a certain amount of time because i think if you um are smart about it and you you sort of let your audience know in advance that you are taking a break then at least there's the idea of i'm aware that this creator is away but i know at some point they're coming back whereas if you just go cold turkey yeah then your audience is just saying hey what happened to this guy and like you say i'm gonna go watch other stuff now because i don't know where this person is and i don't know when they're coming back but if you have a big enough audience to announce that maybe you're going to be taking a break. Then at least in the back of their minds, they know that you're returning at some point. And when they see your next video on a home screen, they're going to say, ah, one of my favorite creators is back. Let's go watch them. But yeah, I I appreciate Viper. The challenge is often the creator themselves trying to persuade themselves that they should take a break before they must take a break. And at that point, it's usually too late. They're
0: already burnt out you brought up a good point about letting your audience know because I do believe that you should definitely be transparent with your audience if you are planning to take an extended period of time away from the channel. It's good to let them know that. Don't, don't just leave them cold turkey like you said. But I, I just kind of feel like ultimately when you're a creator, if you need to step away for a little while, audience and no audience, you got to step away because if you're not in it, if you're not into so, it, as you know, Rob, you're not going to make quality content. So you yeah. have to step away when the time comes and when you're ready to come back. An audience will be waiting for you. Someone will be waiting for you regardless when you come back though. So creator to do with that information what you will. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by vidIQ's channel audit tool, a sort of report card for how your YouTube channel has been performing. When you're in your YouTube studio, the channel audit tool can be found on the left hand side once you've installed vidIQ on either your Chrome or Firefox browser. As long as you've authenticated your channel, clicking on channel audit will give you a bird's eye view of your videos from the last 30, 60, or even 90 days. I personally use this tool to look for patterns with my content. What types of videos are currently getting the most views per hour? Which videos drove a lot of viewers to subscribe? What types of videos are my competitors creating and how do mine compare? What are the search terms bringing people to my channel in the first place? And if this is sounding like a lot of questions, well, that's probably because I ask too many questions. But that's why I love this tool, because I can get answers to all of them and more. You can access the channel audit tool for free when you download the vidIQ extension at vidIQ.com. Okay, so let's get into the state of YouTube for 2023. Rob, (laughs) you've been gone for three months and a lot of change in just those three months. Uh, The biggest thing, Rob, is former now YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki stepped down. Neil Mohan, who was formerly the chief product officer, is now the head of YouTube. So curious to get your thoughts on Susan stepping away. I think,
1: first of all, let's Say thank you to yeah. Susan and the amazing work she has done leading this platform for, I believe, eight years. I would say indirectly, she is the reason why you and I are having this conversation right now, Vibe, yeah. because of the opportunities that YouTube has allowed us and enabled us to pursue with a certain amount of financial stability that has all pretty much come under uh, Susan's leadership. It was a wild west back in the 2012s and 2013s when monetization was in its infancy. And YouTube has certainly matured as a platform, not to everybody's liking. But when you start to understand that YouTube has an enormous responsibility to many stakeholders and the fine balance it has to hold between all of these stakeholders i think she's done a pretty damn good job doing that to get to oh yeah get youtube to the point where it is now where you know people like mr beast are saying youtube's not going anywhere you know mr beast thinks some of his videos are going to get a billion views <laughs> in a decade because it's evergreen content and he he trusts and relies on a platform and it's thanks in part to people like susan i think who've got the platform to to where it is so yeah first of all thank you susan but it does leave a, an interesting, I'm not going to say power vacuum, but we just don't know what Neil's going to bring to the table. From a leadership point of view, I, I think he's been inspirational in many of the products and tools that have come to YouTube, I'd say in the last three or four years. I think ever since the YouTube studio was updated, and we're talking like 2019, 2020, and from beyond, there's been a phenomenal change in terms of, products, stories, shorts, evolution of live streaming. I won't be surprised if uh, VR takes a, a giant leap in the future. And I think they're now talking about, what was a phrase he used, uh, Viper, in a very recent interview? Something along the lines of being able to change avatars or something like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he, uh, he was talking about some interesting products that he was only teasing, which feels like the next evolution. And I don't think any of us can avoid the impact AI is having right now in terms of, you know, what we have here at VidIQ, with title generator, description generator, and daily ideas. YouTube is probably thinking along the same lines, and ChatGPT just seems to have turned the industry, uh, all sorts of industries on their heads, like overnight. Things I'm seeing now in terms of you're just able to type in, what, 10 words? Generate this, create that, copy this. There is a bit of a worry that there's going to be a bit too much automation of video content, and how is YouTube going to deal with that? But yeah, 2023 is, I think, the beginning of a very exciting, but also turbulent time for video on the internet.
0: Yeah, Neil uh, Mohan, who I, like I alluded to, is the new head of YouTube put out a blog post the other day talking about the different priorities that he has for creators and the platform in 2023. Mm. Some of the things that he mentioned was trying to f- generate more ways for creators to make money, which is always good. Yep. Uh, he talked about protecting the YouTube community, I think, as far as content and just creators feeling safe on the platform in general. And he also talked about listening to creators more. <laughs> now, it's funny, mm. when, when, uh, when Susan uh, left, obviously, you know, the internet could be internet in there. She got a lot of hatred on her way out because people feel like she was the catalyst for everything bad that happened to YouTube, even though I would argue that she did a lot more good than bad in her tenure, but she got a lot of hate on her way out. So it was interesting to see Neil talk about in that blog post how he plans to listen to creators more. He's going to get his share of hate too, because when you're the face of a brand, you're going to get the hate. That's just the way people work. Unfortunately, it's not right, but that's just what it is. But I am curious to see how he implements what he listens to into how to make the platform better moving forward so i think the youtube is in good hands i've never met him in person but i have seen him in person uh, speak when i flew out to la last year they youtube flew me out when they announced uh shorts will be monetized so i was in the front seat when i uh, when neil was announcing that at that particular event so i think he has a good plan for where he wants to take youtube and as you alluded to i think ai is going to play a big part in that as you said earlier we've seen with chat gpt Creators are writing scripts, they're getting video ideas, they're working on their titles. They're doing all of this with the help of ChatGPT. So while I don't know if we could talk about AI replacing uh, human beings per se, it will definitely be a big aid in this next generation of creators moving forward because uh, AI is not going anywhere. It's here for the long haul.
1: The opportunities are unimaginable at this point, And slowly but surely, individuals are figuring out how to use ChatGPT and other AI systems to. Really interesting effects I'm scared for my job. I'm not going to be honest viper I don't think you have any here's, here's a funny thing like I think on day one of my uh, time off, Travis and Rob Sandy were talking about how they wish had just recorded my voice a little bit because there was this program that they could just install it into and then have me as like a, an automated voice coach thing. so yeah, there are already plans afoot to get rid of me so
0: if this is the last time you hear me uh, vid IQ, it was nice knowing you. I think, I think Rob exaggerates just a tad bit. But yeah, AI is going to play a, a great role. It was funny, um, a, TikToker, a popular TikToker put out a video talking about how they were promoting uh, AI and ChatGPT to write essays. Uh, I think the wherever university or institution that they were at had came out and said, uh, we don't condone doing this. But it's stuff like that. AI is going to be present in a lot of everyday tasks that we do normally. Now, here's the thing about how I feel about AI. Is amazing. It's an amazing resource. It's an amazing assistant to help us do tasks and, and ideate ideas and, and generate ideas and different things like that. But when I see something that was produced by AI, I can pretty quickly discern that it was produced by AI. There were a lot, a while ago, I think uh, at some point at the height of Chat GPT last year, people were putting out tweets that were generated by Chat GPT, And I'll read them like, yeah, AI definitely wrote this. So I think even though AI is amazing, it does not have that human nuance to it. And some of the stuff that it spits out sounds organically robotic because it is coming from a robot. So if you're not willing as the person using it to do the editing necessary to make it more human as far as the output that you're getting, then I don't know if you're using it correctly. And you're probably going to get exposed for using it verbatim if you don't do some slight editing. And even if you still do editing, you still might get exposed by using it if you're using it in the incorrect or nefarious way. So uh, be careful with that stuff. But it's very good. Tom Scott did a very interesting video about
1: this. I think it's titled, I Tried Using AI, It Scared Me. And he describes where we're at currently with AI as the same point as when uh, Napster first came onto the scene. And it transformed the music industry and streaming, you know, for what, two decades at this point. And he thinks that's where chat GPT is right now. So like in 15 years time, we could see a point where there are AI generated people who are almost as good as a real thing and able to um, create incredible content, but there's still a long way to go, but it does have that potential. So yeah, we'll keep our eyes peeled and see what
0: happens. Yeah, last year, uh, there there was all that hype about people creating those AI images of themselves and different things like that. Um, mm. There are already deep fakes out there. and So the deep fake technology is already. Chat GPT probably even enhances deep fake technology even more now. So it's already out there. So, yeah, as I would just uh, advise you all to be careful about how you use it. Don't just use it verbatim. Make sure you're reading it and making sure the information is correct. Because sometimes chat GPT does not always fit out the correct information. So uh, just be aware. Okay. Speaking about the state of YouTube in 2023, I would be remiss if I didn't talk to you, Rob, about YouTube shorts. Uh, Neil Mohan just announced that YouTube Shorts, as of today, get 50 billion daily views just off of YouTube Shorts alone. I was kind of questioning if Shorts were the next big thing. I was kind of anti short for the first year and a half of business, business but even I have now started to embrace it a little bit. I even think you, Rob, said that you were kind of anti-YouTube Shorts for a while, right?
1: I guess I still am in, in in one sense because I'm terrible at short-form content. So I'm not, re- I'm not able to uh, enjoy the fruits of YouTube shorts. Like we're still making content and stuff. And right. we haven't had anything go viral yet, but we-, we keep trying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are still a lot of people that quote unquote long form creators that are probably on defense about YouTube shorts. Yeah. But I think now is the time to get off the bench and get into the game because they're not going anywhere. Hell, when I open up the YouTube app these days, I'm getting smacked in the face with a YouTube short and yeah. I swipe and then I, I'm hit with another YouTube short. And I feel like if you're a creator out there today, especially if you're a newer creator and you want to supercharge your YouTube growth, if you want to grow as quickly as possible, then you have to be doing YouTube short. That's the fastest way to grow on YouTube right now, just because of how hard YouTube is pushing them out there. Any thoughts about this, Rob? It's an incredible statistic. What, 50 billion shorts views per day? Yep. That would equate
1: to every single person on the planet swiping through seven to eight shots a day. I don't know how that's even possible, but mm. okay. Uh, we'll take YouTube uh, at its word for that. But yeah, essentially short form content, whether it is TikTok, Reels, Shorts, it's just the latest disruptor. And if you think about how YouTube itself disrupted television uh, 15 years ago, and how it's been embraced by billions of users, millions of creators, then you can't not pay attention to what's going on in this Shorts universe. At the moment, I think we're all still figuring out how it's going to become a sustainable way of making an income. Like, again, full credit to YouTube for... Now, bring in ad revenue to shorts in the same way that we had revenue for long form content. Right. It is a challenging area in terms of how much you will earn. Estimates say, just from the small amount of research I've done so far, you'll get about $100 per 3 million shorts views. That's based on an RPM of $0.03, which is what we're currently getting. Mm. But if you think that the way forward for video is to make money just off of ads, then just like all other forms of video content, you're probably chopping off all of your limbs and not giving yourself the opportunity to make money from all sorts of other avenues in terms of affiliate deals, sponsorships, etc, et etc, cetera, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. I think it's going to be a lot more difficult to integrate that into shorts and short form content as TikTok content creators have have found out. But I think the big difference with YouTube is that they have so much integration and so many users already across all of the platform in terms of consumption. So we've got long form content. Right. We've got live streams. Mm -hmm. Now we've got shorts. And... When you think about what YouTube have hinted at, I think in 2022 about how they want to integrate more of a shopping experience into their content. I think this could be the big game changer. So imagine if you're watching a short and this person is demonstrating this gadget that does something amazing. And you say to yourself, I want that currently what you'd have to do is tap on the three dots, go to the description and then have a link that may or may not work. You might have to copy and paste it. In my head, I'm thinking what YouTube is going to do is have like a little pop-up icon that says, buy this item, and you tap it, and it immediately takes you to Amazon or, or whatever retailer is being serviced there. So it's almost like a buy it now button on a short. Like imagine if that is integrated into to YouTube. I think that's a game changer when that is so simple that you can just buy something by tapping on the screen. And I think that's where YouTube is going. And that's where I think a lot of creators need to, need to get onto shorts. First of all, start understanding how to make content, but then be ready for these endless updates and improvements that are going to come to shorts. I mean, the first time I talked about YouTube shorts, Viper was I think when it didn't even have a name. And I think that was August, 2019. And Mm -hmm. so that's three and a half years ago. And look, where it's come from there. like Occasionally, you would see this weird shelf on the app, and you'd be wondering what it was, to now YouTube Shorts, where apparently there are 50 billion views a day, and that equates to, what, one and a
0: half trillion views a month? Probably, yeah. 20 trillion views a year. The mind boggles. It's a lot. So, to your point about the conference situation, YouTube is already doing that with long form content. Uh, yeah, I know exactly. They, were, yep. they had a program in beta where, when uh, Creator for stream or even when you watch long form video, yep. there was a product that was featured in that video. YouTube had the option if you scroll below the description, that product was like on a shelf and you click on it and you could buy it right then and there. So, they're already experimenting with that. And like you said, they can roll that out to shorts, and that completely changes the game for how creators can make money with shorts but i think the difference there is that you're having to like
1: scroll under a video or swipe across a carousel with shorts which are already more interactive because you're doing a lot more interacting with the screen you're swiping up you double tap into like etc cetera, etc cetera. right just that single tap on the screen on your mobile phone that instant ability to purchase something seems incredible to me because i right. i would do it viper life if, if i was watching somebody uh, like reviewing some lights like as i've been building up my studio i've been watching tons of youtube videos But what I have to do is watch the video. I'll see the product. I'll have to go to Amazon, type in and search it myself, or I may click on the affiliate link. You're probably talking about 15 to 30 seconds of effort. But imagine if it was just two seconds. Tap, take into product,
0: buy now. Yeah, it's a game changer. Anything that promotes convenience to a user is going to be a winner. Like, I mean, Apple made a whole brand of this. So convenience wins all the time. So YouTube could make it that more convenient for viewers to buy stuff. They're going to jump all over that for sure. I want to go back to something that you said about the math, though. You said that given the RPMs that we have for shorts right now, it equates to $100 per 3 million views. I just find that interesting because if you're not currently monetized and you're trying to become monetized as a short creator, you need 10 million views in 90 days to get into the program. So by your numbers, that means uh, if you got those 10 million views within 90 days, you will qualify for $300 um, to get into that program. So I find it interesting because we know that right now the minimum payout for the partner program is 100 bucks.
1: Yeah, but if you divide those 10 yeah.
0: million views
1: into three, into three segments, so it's 3.3 3 million views per month, right. which is around about $110. That yeah. seems to match perfectly with the minimum payout you would uh, need. I've just done a video about this, everybody, so do check it out. Yeah.
0: My initial thoughts on uh, YouTube Shorts. Yeah, we just put out a video March the thick on the main channel where Rob goes into more detail about short monetization and high work. So definitely go check out that video on the vidIQ YouTube channel.
1: What's really interesting is that now you only earn ad revenue from your shorts on the short shelf. But previously, because you can technically watch shorts elsewhere, mm-hmm. like we had some shorts that were being watched on through YouTube search and externally to YouTube. So like maybe through Google search, we were getting ad revenue from those sources, which was 10 times the amount. So we had one video, which in January got us about $78 in revenue. But now because it's a short, its revenue is switched to the short shelf. And now it's earning about 50 cents a month. Mm. So it's had a really negative impact in a really weird way in some of the content that we were producing
0: interesting very very interesting okay speaking of short form content i gotta talk to you about tiktok tiktok has been controversial for a few years now especially here in the united states well now we have local state governments banning tiktok in their states i think michigan just banned tiktok on all government mobile devices not too long ago we know that the federal government had banned tiktok on their devices and whatnot so rob <laughs> I'm I'm curious your thoughts. Do you feel like we are at the point where the U.S. will outright ban TikTok? Because I don't
1: live in the U.S. and and understand all of the politics behind this, it's difficult to say yes for certain. Because maybe this depends on the current administrations, and they can be quite polarizing in their decision making. Because uh, you know, when Trump was in charge, he was he was basically telling everyone he was gonna ban it within a couple of months, right? Right. Didn't in the end, but it did cause some almost like some knee-jerk business decisions. Like weren't Microsoft thinking of buying it at one point and and, and other companies were interested. Right. It looks dicey, doesn't it? Like I know the a Canadian government, I think, has banned TikTok as well, and other institutions are thinking about doing this.
0: Yeah, I think I think
1: it completely banned in India, if I'm not mistaken. The thing you've got to remember is that you know TikTok is owned by a Chinese company, and China bans YouTube, Facebook, and a lot of other social platforms outright. Anyway, so I can see where the nervousness is coming from. So, do I think TikTok will be banned? I would say no, but I think it's going to undergo some pretty tough changes and reforms, whether that's through decisions TikTok have to make in order for their app to be more compliant, which may remove features or the way it's consumed by users. And also YouTube has already done a pretty good job of stamping on their lead and bringing creators over to their side of the fence and the recent monetization as good or bad as it is, as well as the potential going forward is I think just going to attract more TikTok creators over to uh, YouTube. So the short answer is no, but I think the longer answer is that we may start to see some contraction in the TikTok user base and the creator economy over
0: there, but we shall see. We shall see. I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's going to get outright banned in the U.S. We've been talking about banning it for years, like you said, since the yeah. previous administration and nothing ever came to fruition, even though it is currently banned by the federal government on federal government devices and different things like that. I think TikTok's greater adversary is YouTube Short, <laughs> like you mentioned. YouTube Shorts is gaining a lot of traction, as like we alluded to earlier, 50 billion daily views from YouTube Shorts or on YouTube Short. I think that's actually a much bigger threat to TikTok than any government regulation. But we will find out how it all plays out. So uh, stay tuned. (laughs) Okay, before you left, you did a video, I think, talking about calls to action and when creators should ask for subscribers in their video. Mm -hmm. And I think if I remember correctly, you you made a good point that you should not ask for subscribers in your video until you deliver something of value in that particular video. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I feel like that is very important for creators to understand.
1: Yeah, so uh, when you're scrolling through YouTube and you see a thumbnail and a title of it, it's very enticing. I think the last thing, in my opinion, I want to see is the creator asking for something from their audience. And that's usually something on the lines of, hey, welcome to my channel. I do this, this, and this. It would be awesome if you could subscribe because 80% of the people who watch this video aren't currently subscribed. And for me, at the very beginning of the video, you're wasting time on yourself and your channel and the interests of growing as opposed to providing value to the audience. So if you watch any of our videos these days, you won't see us mention vidIQ or what we do or what we sell or why subscribing to us would be a benefit to you until we've offered something of value, which is completely free. And when I did a test of asking somebody to subscribe, I did it, I think, in the last minute of a video. And at that point, the audience retention was already down to maybe 30 to 40%. So I'd lost a lot of the viewers. But those who were still there, uh, Viper, were watching because they were invested in the content and they clearly cared about what was being delivered. And that's the point I think you should be asking them to do a little bit of a a favor for for you. And when we did that, I think the subscribe count was like double what it would usually be. So I think for a a 100,000 view video, we'd usually get, I think, around about 900 subscribers. But for that video, when I did that test, I think we got like 2,200 subscribers. So we doubled the number of people who subscribed Mm. by including that call to action, but at a very uh, intentional point. So, but it's not just subscribing. It's like if you're trying to encourage somebody to buy a product off you or sign up for a newsletter, whatever it is, respect the point that they've clicked on your video and they're spending time with you and reward them for that first before you are looking for that extra little ask, whether it be a subscribe or a purchase
0: of something. Indeed, indeed. Rob, before we get out of here, do you have any other nuggets that you want to drop on the podcast before we leave? So I think
1: 2023, for me at least, on some up to speed, is going to be the year of being a bit more vulnerable mm-hmm. and being uh, more confident and comfortable about telling stories. In the video where I said I was leaving uh, for a little while, you know, something that had very little to do with how to grow a channel. It was basically about my journey, where I got to, why I was taking a break and who I was banking for, the journey that I'd been on. And so it did have some more storytelling elements to it and that video actually did pretty well. It still got a good number of views, but the engagement from that video was incredible. The comments I got were just, they brought almost like a proverbial tear to my eye when I was reading through them. Like I was on this break and like, people are actually a little um, sad that I'm going to be taking a break and they really feel as if I've made an impact on their YouTube journeys. And I want to explore that a little bit more, Viper. I guess the challenge is that, storytelling takes a lot more time to craft. Right. You can't, it needs more than just a script, so to speak. It needs a thought process behind it. Like how do you, what do you ma- want to make your audience feel when you start this video and when you end this video? Uh, I think Hayden Hillier-Smith has talked about this on, on your podcast before. Like yep. you want the person coming out of the video, feeling different to how they started the video, right. whether it's happier, whether it's more enlightened, whether, whether, whether they're sad because it's, a, it's an emotional story or, or a tragic event. You want them to feel something from your content. And that is difficult to do in the world of YouTube education, but that's where I'm going to be putting my time and effort this year. So I guess my question to the audience, so maybe you can answer this and let Viper know in the next podcast, like what is your focus going to be? It doesn't have to be something as broad and holistic as storytelling. It could be that you just want to make thumbnails better and increase your click-through rate by 1%. If that's what you want to do in 2023, that's awesome because you're going to get more views from it. Um, But yeah, that's my target uh, this year, Viper, as a content creator. What about you? uh,
0: Is there anything that you're specifically targeting in your self-development? Probably uh, something similar to you, man. Just trying to figure out how to make the video more engaging. Because we all know that at the beginning of most of our videos, you get that hockey uh, slope where people usually leave after the first 30 seconds of the video. So I'm trying to figure out how to make that slope less of a slope. So I think that's where my focus is going to be here in 2023, for sure. Well,
1: what I've noticed is at the very beginning of this conversation, you uh, had some uh, listener questions. I yes. thought it was cool like you are involved the audience and we were able to um, name some people and have a quick discussion about them. And I think that's one brilliant way to engage with your audience. So uh, I think you're on the right track. Absolutely.
0: Rob Wilson, it's been a pleasure as always, my dude. We will definitely be keeping Indeed. eyes on you on the YouTube channel. If you guys want to see more of Rob, obviously you can find him on our YouTube channel. And he'll be back on the podcast from time to time when he has time. Oh yeah. Has, uh, again. The time. Three Absolutely. Months. Absolutely. But I uh, appreciate you guys listening. Thank you. This has been your boy Viper. I will be back next week with another episode of Tube Talk presented by Vid. I.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk, brought to you by vidIQ. Head
0: over to vidIQ.com slash Tube Talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.